morning, we're continuing in the last chapters of the book of Acts. And as you may remember, we're taking the material from Acts 22 to 28. And in some cases, going into particular scriptures. And in other cases, just taking what is there and enlarging upon it to use it as application, using the life and the experiences of the Apostle Paul as teaching elements in our own lives, as God would use those experiences to teach us something about how we are to be ministering and what is to be happening in our lives and how we are to be conducting ourselves as believers. And so this morning we're going to use chapter 27 as a backdrop, and we're going to speak about God's sovereign control over the opposition of Satan. And I think that's always an appropriate issue. I think if you've been listening to anything on the television, on the news, listening to the radio, reading the newspapers, if you have any discernment at all as a believer, it should begin to become patently obvious that the wave of toleration against the church is diminishing and the wave of intolerance against the church is increasing. Have we begun to notice that more and more the church, and I'm not talking about generally the, those who call themselves a Christian church, but those who adhere biblically, consistently honoring God in his word, who are holding to the word of God faithfully. That church, this particular church and other churches throughout the world, we are becoming more and more the target of opposition. Have we noticed that? And so this morning, just felt that that was the Lord's leading, and I had that feeling a couple of weeks ago while we were in staff, and I mentioned that, and Keith said, well, okay, well, I'm going to be out, you know, not out of the pulpit for these two Sundays. Why don't you take one of them, and Jeff, uh, Jason will take the next one. But before I speak, here's how God does things. Here's how he orchestrates things. He, before the foundation of the world, knowing that we'd be here this morning speaking today about this issue, because he is the one who conducts the affairs of this church, gave a word to Brandy Duncan. Come on down. A word that she wants to share this morning concerning this very issue. Now, we don't orchestrate this. Could someone give a word about this so it looks like things are coming together? But she came to us through an email. About a, come on down to the microphone. And she came to us in an email and said, look, I have a word. I have, you know, this I'd like to share. And I knew what I was going to share, so we emailed back and forth. Would you like to do it and so on? And certainly she does want to. Is this tall enough for you because you're not a shorty? You're okay? No, no. It's going to be easier okay. if you just speak into it. So listen to this word that Brandy has. We believe from the Holy Spirit for our encouragement. Recently, um, I felt led by the Lord to share with the church a reoccurring dream that the Lord has given me multiple times to bring strength and peace in the midst of great adversity. The dream is, is that I'm, I'm on a beach and I'm looking at this mighty wave coming violently towards me. And I'm just standing there watching it get closer and closer. And just as I began to feel sprinkles of water hit my face and the top of the wave hovers over my head, it stops moving. And there I am face to face with a wave capable of destroying me. But the Lord never allows it to overcome me. This dream, although quite intense, has brought me much comfort because no matter how great the wave was, I was never devoured. When the storms around me raged, I can take peace in knowing that the Lord is with me and there is no wave or storm that God can't calm. And in Mark chapter 4, verse 37, Jesus is in the boat with the disciples and a great storm comes and Jesus was sleeping peacefully in the boat and the disciples woke him and they asked him, do you not care that we are perishing? Jesus calmed, got up, and calmed the storm around them, and then questioned why they were afraid. How is it that you have no faith, he asked. God is aware of the storms we face, and he is with us. Rest in the fact that through Christ, we will not be overcome by the storm, but we will overcome any storm we face through Christ. Amen. 
So let me read from Acts 27 some selected verses here. I, I'm going to skip some because it's a pretty decently uh, detailed travel log. We don't need to know every island and everything that was happening, but there's, an, there's a message here. So Acts 27. Paul, remember, is in chains. He's in, uh, incarcerated, and they're taking him to Rome. And when it was decided that we should set sail for Italy... They delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship, we put to sea. Verse 4. The winds were against us. Verse 9. Since much time had passed, the voyage was now dangerous. And Paul advised them. Now remember, Paul is a prisoner. But Paul is also the man of God with the will of God and the word of God and the purpose of God. And in verse 10, he says, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo of the ship, but also of our lives. But the Sertirian paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. Verse 13. Now, when the south wind blew gently, you see, gently, the beginning of opposition comes gently. Supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the Nor'easter struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Verse 20. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Verse 21, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and to not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul, for you must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Verse 31, and Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, they were ready to throw some of the men overboard, they were ready to jump ship. Unless they stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. And then finally, in verse 44, the boat, boat crashes and the rest of the planks and on the pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. Now, when we look at the life of Paul, there's much we learn about living and ministering the Christian life. There's a lot to learn from his life. That's why one of the most valuable ways of studying the Word is to study the lives of these men and women of God. Not just read the verses, but sometimes take a study of these various men and women of God from the beginning to the end. But one thing we have seen, which is very clear, Paul's life and ministry was continually from the very beginning until the very end. Filled with not only the glorious opportunity of sharing the gospel, but accompanying the wonderful opportunity of sharing the gospel and the great work of God in saving so many and establishing so many churches, this great and wonderful ministry. They also accompany this ministry, continual, fierce, and deadly opposition. Now, what does that say about my life and about your life? And we shared this a few weeks ago. We should expect, not be surprised about, but we as believers, if we're going to walk faithfully and consistently in a way that pleases God, what should we be able to expect? We should be able to expect the promise of Jesus in John 16, 33, to be becoming true. What is that? In this life, you will experience what? Tribulations, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. We should be expecting fierce 
and even sometimes deadly opposition. So not going back and rehearsing all the book of Acts, but you remember the many experiences that Paul had. And by the time we get to chapter 27, they're on this boat heading to Rome. And is it any surprise that as they are heading along, all of a sudden this great and fierce wind comes up? Why has this wind come up? What is the purpose of the enemy behind this wind? He isn't interested in cargo ships. He isn't interested in Romans and Greeks drowning. He isn't interested in that. He's interested in one person only. He's interested in one thing only. There is a man on that boat who is accompanied by a group of other people who are carrying and conveying and taking to Rome the most powerfully destructive Word, message against the kingdom of darkness, and that is the gospel. That is what Satan is all about. There is a man on that boat in whom resides the power and the presence of this great and sovereign controlling God using this man and his company to go into this capital of the empire and to begin to preach the only message that will set people free and begin to tear down the destructive empire and kingdom of Satan. So Paul is a continual target continual target and each one of us to some extent we are continual targets of the enemy so why is this happening because you remember what the word said Jesus told Paul you must testify to me in Rome testify of what the facts about me what facts the facts of the gospel, the facts about the death and the resurrection of Jesus for the salvation of God's people. This is Paul's purpose. This is his mission. And for this, he is experiencing opposition. But you see, God's sovereign control over all the opposition is also at work at the same time in the midst of the opposition. So what opposition is this? What does Paul, Paul call it? In Second, First Thessalonians, remember, he says to the Thessalonians, he said, we were yanked out of there and we had to leave town about three weeks before. After we got there, we haven't finished preaching to you and teaching. We want to do a whole lot more, but we were driven out because of opposition and we want to come back. But in chapter 2, verse 18, here's what Paul says. But Satan opposed us. It was Satan's continual and fierce opposition to the church to the ministry of the gospel that Paul was contending with at the same time of ministering the gospel. And so as gospel people, we are not here just as those who are advancing the truth, advancing the light into the darkness, bringing forth life into death. But we are doing it in a way that we are going against the fierce winds of an enemy who wants to sink our boat. So we have to take up a fight here. So what do we learn from this chapter 27 in Acts? Although we are going to experience Satan's opposition, that's a minor point. Because sometimes, why do I say that? Because in the opposition, in the difficulty, in the problem, what becomes of the opposition too often in our lives? What it becomes is what? A major point. And we need to see the opposition of Satan is not the major point. The major point in Acts 27 was not the winds and the waves. I remember another story where a man was in a boat with his disciples and the winds and the waves. The major point is never the opposition. The major point is this. God was with them in the boat. 
God was with them in the boat. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 28, verse 20. And after all power in heaven and earth, what is, he, what is his promise? And behold, what? I am with you. For how long? Always, comma, even until the end of the age. So we're in boats of opposition. I mean, my wife has been through some opposition physically in the last several weeks. Two or three weeks ago, she got sick, shared it with me, and we both went down, and we were sick for a week. We were coming out of it, and last Sunday, she went straight down again and was very ill this week. Opposition. But the point of the matter is, the point of the matter is, you see, the point of the matter is not the opposition, but who is with us in the midst of the opposition. If you don't get anything else this morning, remember this. By the Holy Spirit, the Lord of glory, Jesus Christ, is with us in the opposition. Could you do this? Because we need to remember these things. And I've recommended this to some folks, and they've done it. And it's actually been a help to them. You might want to take a little something and type on or write on or whatever. Opposition is coming. But Jesus is with me in the opposition. And put it on a magnet. And put it on your icebox door, you know, your refrigerator door, or your somewhere where you will see it. Because one of the primary problems in opposition is we develop spiritual amnesia. And what do we begin to do? When Peter was asked to get out of the boat and come on down, Peter, walk over to me. I'm walking on the water. Lord, bid me come to you. Come on. Peter gets out and starts walking on the water and looks down and all of a sudden he sees the waves. And hey, those fish are kind of close. And all of a sudden he takes his eyes off Jesus and he began to sink. So the most important thing today is this. There is a malevolent, relentless enemy out there. But we have a God and a Savior who at every point and at every turn and at every moment is better than Satan ever has or can ever be. Amen? He's better. He's better. Let's make sure we look at this also. There's something else here in this passage. You see, God did get Paul to Rome. Do you see that? They got to Rome. If you read chapter 28, they in Rome. But how did God get Paul to Rome? Through what means did God use to get his will accomplished in this man? What did he do? God used the means of Paul's obedience. Remember 2 Timothy 4, 7. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. One thing we have to keep clearly in mind is this. Yes, God is with us in the boat. But what he's not doing is saying, hey, look, look. We got a real bad storm here and whatever. You just sit still. You don't do anything. You just chill out and I'll do everything necessary while you just sit there and watch me work. And so something happens and we begin to say, oh, God, help me, help me, help me. And things don't go. God didn't come in. What happens is we have to join God as he joins in us and with us to the saving of life, to the dealing with the issue. God used Paul's Obedience, Paul's cooperation with the Holy Spirit, God's sovereignty, man's responsibility. Well, does that mean that if Paul didn't do it, he'd have died? I have the answer for that. Read the word and see. It doesn't tell us. Oh. 
can't you tell us that if we don't cooperate with God, everything's still going to be okay? No, because God doesn't say that. If you persevere, if you continue, if you fight, if you keep the faith, what does that mean if we don't? What it means is this. If you keep the faith, if you persevere, if you continue, what does it mean? It means what God says it means. You see, one thing we'll learn about Paul, and each one of us needs to learn this because there's opposition in me personally in the flesh, in my mind, in my attitudes, in my thoughts, in my feelings. I feel opposition regularly. Do you? There's opposition between husbands and wives. Anyone experiencing, has ever experienced anything like this? There's opposition in family, children, and parents. There's opposition in the church. There's opposition at work. There's opposition politically. There's opposition physically. There's opposition financially. I mean, you name it. Is there any area of our lives where there is no opposition? Any area? Can anybody say any area where there's no opposition as we live in these fleshly bodies? in this fallen world. There's none. But here's what you learn from Paul. He never I'm trying, I'm, I'm not going to bellow. But these are shouting words. He never gave in to the opposition. He always overcame it by faithful trust and obedience to the will and the word of God by the Holy Spirit. Can you say amen? <clears throat> the reason we are being overcome by those issues in our lives is our fault mostly. Oh, you don't know my husband. You don't know my wife. You don't know my children. You don't know the pastor. I don't need to know anybody. All I need to know is what this word says. And all you need to know is what the word says. And the reason opposition in our lives is not being successfully overcome is because we are not cooperating with what the Holy Spirit says to us to do. Now, how many of you who are continually battling with these things know that's really the truth. The reason I don't experience 100% victory in my personal walk is my fault. It's my fault. I can't say Paul did 100% because he says differently in Philippians 3, not that I have what? been successful in this but I press on I keep moving forward you see Paul was gutsy and when the enemy came in Paul stood against him in the armor of God as if to say come on sucker we're going to battle and you're going to lose Amen? Because there's no way that a man or a woman in Christ faithfully battling against and resisting the enemy, having submitted yourself to God, will not win the battle. See, we need to have a little better attitude about these things. And if we do, we begin to experience a much greater ability to overcome Why could Paul do it? Look at verse 7. Paul discerned the nature of opposition. Look at verse 10. Sorry, 10. How could Paul do this? 
because he discerned the nature of the opposition. He didn't just see it as another issue in the family or another issue financially or another issue whatever. He didn't see that. He saw what was happening as the attack of the enemy and the minions of Satan against the work of the power and the effectiveness of the gospel in his life. So what did he do? Look at verse 10. He said, sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss. We are in for a battle. When the things begin in your life, all of a sudden begin to realize this is an attack of the enemy. My thoughts, my feelings, my attitudes, what I'm doing, what I'm not doing, what's happening. This is an attack. And if I'm not careful, it's going to be a dangerous thing. So I must first discern what's going on. There's going to be injury and much loss. In verse 31, Paul responded to the opposition by faith. He didn't go run and hide in the hold of the ship. He didn't whine and moan to God, why is this happening? Oh, Lord, help me here. Get me out of this. I've been good. I've been faithful. He didn't do any of that. Verse 31, he says this to the centurion, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Paul knew what to do. He knew the will of God. He knew the word of God, and he responded according to the will and the word of God by the Spirit. This is why he knew what to do with opposition and how to handle it. You see, in the very same way, the Lord will exercise his sovereign control over any and all satanic opposition, no matter what form it comes in, he will exercise his sovereign control in our lives as we take up and cooperate with him according to his will, his word, according to our knowledge and understanding and obedience to the word. You see, this is one of the areas that I continually pound on in this church. We need to be a people of much greater word, faithfulness, knowledge, and understanding, and use of it in wisdom by the Spirit. We need to do a whole lot better. If your job were under attack and your boss said you get, had to read this manual and, and by tomorrow morning get all this stuff, you'd be up all night long trying to save your job. And yet I sit in meetings. Keith sits in meetings. Jason sits in meetings. Evan sits in meetings. And some of the elders sit in meetings. And some of your covenant group leaders sit in meetings. And we witness the deteriorating, destructive work of sin in lives day after day. Many of you are here today. I could take a moment and begin to point you out that you sat in my office. And one of the primary factors here, some of you know what I will ask, how is your time in the Word? Well, you know, it's just, I, I just said, how is your time in prayer? Well, I just said, you see, knowing the Word of God is not a panacea, but it's certainly the basis of everything that we need to have as we will take it up and use it by the Word, by the Spirit. Let me encourage you. If you're not in the Word regularly and daily, why not? What could possibly be more important? I want to turn to an Old Testament example and go through some of this together. And as we turn to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 4, one thing about the Old Testament that I love 
is that we are looking at the lives of real people in real circumstances, dealing with real issues, and being led by a real God for real overcoming power in their lives. And Nehemiah is one of those splendid, splendid books of the Old Testament that let me encourage you to take it and read it and begin to allow the Holy Spirit to teach you, to teach me, to teach us. Many of the basic dynamics of dealing with the opposition of the enemy as the Holy Spirit would take his word and instruct us and then as we would take up that word of instruction and begin to function within the context and the leadership of the Holy Spirit to do what he's leading us to do. We're talking about God's sovereign control over opposition. So we come to Nehemiah. Now you remember in Nehemiah what's going on. Very quickly, the nation of Judah has been in captivity for a long time. 70 years in Babylon. And then the Persian Median Empire came in and they overcame and destroyed it the Babylonian Empire, and Cyrus the Great says, look, everybody, Jews, y'all can all go home and go back and rebuild the temple and go back and be your people. So they started going back. And so they, by several years later, 15 years it takes, they rebuild the temple, the place of God's worship in the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem in the Old Testament is the location of the testimony of God. It's the place where God's testimony and presence is manifested. That's what the temple in Jerusalem in the city itself represents, the testimony of the gospel. And so when we come to Nehemiah, Nehemiah brother comes in, Hananiah, and he says, hey, Hananiah, you've been out in Jerusalem. Yeah, what's going on? How are things happening? What's going on? How are things doing? And the walls of the city are still torn down, and we are subject to every attack and every difficulty there is. And Nehemiah is overwhelmed. And so finally, over a period of a few months, he acquires the king's approval to go back to Jerusalem to begin to rebuild the walls. The walls what? The walls that protect the testimony. The walls that define the people of God. The walls that say within these walls is a testimony of God and outside is the world. The testimony of God. So things begin to happen. And man, by chapter 3, Nehemiah has reconnoitered the place and gotten things together. Chapter 3, this was next to that one. They were all working and, and uh, building in unity. This one next to that one, next to that one. Fifteen times this unity of the, the people of God has come together. And things are looking good, and the wall is being built. And all of a sudden, we get to chapter 4, and immediately, opposition. Don't you ever think that you are going to take a step that furthers the testimony of Christ and not get opposed. Movement in God, opposition by the enemy. Overcoming the opposition by the power of the Spirit. Move in God, opposition of the enemy. Overcoming the power of opposition by the Spirit. Movement of God, opposition by the enemy. Overcoming by the Spirit. Shall I continue or did you get the idea? Anybody have a question? Do I need to repeat that? So if you're not being opposed, maybe it doesn't, and maybe it means you ain't moving. So let's look at the nature of the attack. Nehemiah 4, 1 through 3. Now when Sanballat heard that we were building, this is Nehemiah, when we were building the wall, remember the wall that defends the testimony. He was angry and greatly enraged. Who does that sound like? Satan. Satan. Using a man's anger and rage. You wonder why people are upset with you when you proclaim the gospel? 
You wonder why you get upset so much when you're not getting your own way. It is an enemy's opportunity to stir our flesh up against the testimony of Christ in us. And he jeered at the Jews, and he said in the presence of his brothers and the army of Samaria. Remember, they brought the army of Samaria in here. What are these feeble Jews doing? <laughs> oh, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> the gospel? <laughs> Jesus? <laughs> God? <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> Will they restore it for themselves? Do you think? Do you really think? You bunch of ding-a-lings. Why do you believe what you do? This is, the world has gone past those old things. Will they sacrifice? Will they finish it in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones and the burn ones at that? Tobiah the Amorite was beside him and he said, yes. What are they building? If even a fox jumps up, it will break down the wall, the stone wall. What, are you, what is this? What are they using? Intimidation. You see, we begin to feel intimidated. That's the work of the enemy. In your situation, if you are feeling intimidation, jeering, that, that, that feeling that oh, it's not going to work, I, I can't do this. I, I don't know. All of that's intimidation. That's a work of the enemy for the purpose of getting you to stop working on the wall of your obedience. It's intimidation. Any of us have ever felt and experienced any intimidation in our life? You ever go to someone that you have to share the gospel and you are hugely intimidated by this? It'll never happen. Who am I? All the time. Why do you think this comes up? It's the enemy's arrows against us, our minds and our thoughts and our attitudes and our feelings and our emotions stirring us, stirring us. Intimidation. Through the use of this ridicule, through the use of this ridicule. Do you really believe? Now, let's face it. Do you honestly believe that the difficulty that is in my marriage, do you honestly believe that the difficulty that is in my family that we have been experiencing for so many years, are you going to sit there and tell me that all I need to do is begin to obey God and that's going to be fine. Are you kidding? Do you really believe that? You're going to be jeered. You're going to be ridiculed. You're going to be intimidated. Who's behind that? Certainly there's, there's fear and frustration of the flesh, but there's something, someone behind that stirring it up because he knows this. When you hear the word and when you begin to take hold of the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and raise up the shield of faith, Satan knows that his time is over in that situation. And he's going to do whatever he can with all these flaming darts, Ephesians 6, 16, to dissuade you, to cause fear in you, to not go with what you're hearing and what you need to do. Intimidation. It's one of the most effective tools of the devil. Intimidation. I think the guy needs to be locked up. What do you mean? Go back home and to be with my husband. Or my wife is a nut. Intimidation. Don't be intimidated. This word stands forever. And it's true forever. Don't be intimidated. See, Satan knows that his time is finished. It's close to the end. Through this ridicule, this intimidation, here's what Satan's trying to do. He's trying to give us a spiritual heart attack. <laughs> a fear and discouragement, hoping to undermine our confidence 
and our determination to rebuild the testimony of Jesus Christ. So no wonder Jesus on the night that he was betrayed in John 14, 1 says to the disciples, he's talking to them about leaving and being crucified. <sighs> oh my word, what is happening here? Fear, hopelessness, confusion. Oh man, what does he say in John 14, 1? Don't let your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you when I go away to prepare a place for you. That where I am, there you will be also. When you begin to feel these things... Allow them to be a spiritual barometer. You go outside, it's humid. We know it's Mexico, Gulf of Mexico coming in when it's dry. We know it's, you know, we, we do that all the time with the weather. And Jesus says, hey, if you can discern the weather, discern the spirit. When you feel these things, where? In your guts. The bowels of God, according to King James, in your guts. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Come on, how many of you know that? All of us do. Discern. This is not the Holy Spirit. This is the accuser of my soul. The malevolent enemy who wants to destroy me because I am a vessel, a container of the testimony of Jesus Christ in the gospel. Be aware of it. What was the defense? Nehemiah 4. Nehemiah called upon God to take the battle against, take up the battle. He says, hear, O God, our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in the land where they are captives. You see, he's saying, God, take up arms against them. Now, Nehemiah isn't saying, Lord, I'm under attack. Please do something about it. You'll see that that's not what he's saying here. But he's beginning to what? He's beginning in the midst of the beginning of the attack. He is beginning to do what James 4, 7 says. Now, all of us should know James 4, 7 by now. If you don't, memorize it. What does Paul say? He's just been talking about anger and resentment and, you know, uh, you can't have and you don't have and you didn't ask for it right and you, when you did ask for it, you're consuming on your lust. He's talking about all that activity of anger in us and so verse 4 7 uh, chapter 4 verse 7 what does he say therefore what what does he say first submit obey no obey submit yourselves to god nehemiah submitting to god now james said doesn't say submit yourself to god and ask him to kick the devil down the street he doesn't say that he said, submit yourselves to God. Do what? Resist the devil. And what's going to happen? He's going to flee from you. Remember 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober-minded. Be on the alert. For your adversary, the devil, prowls about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Ah, what are we going to do? What does Peter say in verse 9? Believers love for verse 5, but what, verse 8, but what does he say in verse 9? But what, do what? Resist him, what? Firm in your faith. Resist him. Only reason we are being overcome by these things is we're not doing the work that God has given us to do. Go back and let us evaluate our own walk and evaluate how we are functioning in the midst of opposition. I have to do this regularly. I sometimes do well by the Spirit, and sometimes I do pitifully in my own flesh. But I have to regularly be aware of what's going on and then obey God. So what was their defense after Nehemiah 
prayed, look at verse 6 of chapter 4. What happened? And they continued to build. They continued to build. They continued to build. Now, that's great. I'm obeying God. I'm walking in faith. Now you see, since I'm now obeying God and walking in faith, I'm reading my word. I'm praying as I need to, as I'm being led by the Spirit. I'm sharing the gospel. I'm giving biblically a major area of attack of Satan to get you not to do that. Major area. I'm coming to School of the Word and celebration on Sunday morning at 10. Oh, man. Wow. I'm getting there. Zach, we're getting there, brother. We're moving on now. Charles, we're doing better. Ron, we're getting there, boy. Ray? Yeah. We're getting there. Listen to verse 7, because here's what we're doing. We believe because we're getting there, and now we're doing it God's way. What do we think is going to be happening? What about the opposition? Come on, what do you think is going to happen in the opposition? What do you think and hope? It does what? Starts to decrease. Well, look at verse 7. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry and they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and cause confusion. The battle got worse. Man, this is unfair. This is how it's just unfair. I'm now doing what God has wanted me to do. I've repaired a lot of the stuff in my life, and I'm now beginning to walk for maybe the first time ever, the first time in years, um, as it were, coming back into a functioning relationship with God in Christ by the Spirit, as I should never have drifted from in the first place. We're doing well, and all of a sudden, the thing's going to get worse. Are you kidding? Yes, it is going to get worse. No, we are not kidding. It's going to get worse. You see... Doing God's will is not a rabbit's foot, a talisman to get you out of trouble. It's the opportunity to open the door to more opposition. Isn't that encouraging? (laughs) But the people did what? They continued to pray. In verse 9, and we pray to our God... And they continued to act. And so we set a guard as a protection against them day and night. When the enemy opposed, the people stood the ground even more. And when the enemy opposed more, the people stood the ground even more. And when the enemy opposed, the people battled even more. You know when this ends? When we get our new bodies. Or until Jesus returns. But then we'll get our new bodies. It's an unrelenting, unforgiving attack that ain't never going to get better. All it's going to do is morph into different directions and different avenues and attack you at different areas of life during different seasons of life. There are things in my life today that are no longer issues, basically, but then they're new issues. You know, you think, well, I get to a certain age, I've grown out of certain issues, I won't have that many problems in it. Well, maybe not, maybe so. But, Mike, there are new issues coming up. (laughs) You see, at a certain age, Satan gets to have things, do things in you that he couldn't do when you were 20 years old. They're new issues. The opposition intensifies in verses 10 to 12. You see, things didn't settle down. They got worse. Listen to this. Just summarizing verse 10. The workers were exhausted. How many of us get exhausted in the battle? Let me tell you. It's tiring. Exhausted. 
Verse 10 again. The building continued with great difficulty. Verse 11. The enemy still threatening. Verse 12. Even the families back home who, that were not in Jerusalem, where the daddies and the brothers were, the families back home were being what? Terrorized. But the people of God were committed to fight by faith. When the enemy comes in that, that roaring lion, what does First Peter say? Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of opposition or sufferings are experienced by your brothers throughout the world. There's so much more we could talk about, but we obviously narrow it down. What was the result? You see, the result is this. Nehemiah 6.15. Look at Nehemiah 6.15. There's your result. If we don't approach this entire opposition from the context and the vision and the mountain of the result, we are going to stumble. May I repeat that? If we don't approach and deal and face and fight this opposition from the context of its result, from standing on Mount Zion itself with the risen, ruling, exalted Lord of glory, we are going to stumble. So what does 615 say? And we completed the walls what? How many days? How many? 52 days. Unheard of. Absolute miracle. You see, today, whatever it is that you're facing, do you know that there's going to be a victory? Well, it depends on how you define victory, right, James? If the victory is my back is going to be healed and I'll never have another pain, Mm, 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 mm. you may or may not experience that. If the victory is I'll never have any other problems in my thoughts, no one will ever be angry with me, well, you, you're looking at the wrong victory. But if the victory is this, that there is a man in the heavens who is standing and who in this standing is directing the armies of God upon the earth in the church against the onslaught and the movement of Satan and his gang and that he is doing that from the conquering, having destroyed all the power of the enemy. First John 3, 8, for the Son of God has appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the enemy. That that man has won the day and today he is using us to be declaring that victory as we are being used as his overcoming weapons against Satan until Satan is bound and thrown into the lake of fire forever. You see, that is our perspective. <laughs> I shouldn't bring this up. This may be the only downer of the whole sermon. Today the saints play somebody called the Steelers. I'm sorry, but I don't have much faith for our winning. It doesn't mean I don't want us to win. I want us to win everything and win every Super Bowl. Is that okay? Some people think, yeah, Peter doesn't want to win. So when you watch the game, how many of you are going to watch it like this? And by the time you finish the game, you ain't got nothing but nubs. Anybody? I, in fact, Gene, watch, I don't even watch it. I'm nervous. But suppose this. You go home, and the game's finished, but you've taped it. And Luke says to you, Dad, we won by 18 points. Now, that may destroy the excitement. But if we know that we won by even one point, right, Keith? But let's do it at least 18. 
How many of you could watch the game with greater joy and calmness? Come on. Oh, oh well, we just lost the ball. We just lost the ball. What are we going to do? Well, it's okay, sweetheart. We win. <laughs> yeah, but he just missed the field goal. He just, it's okay. We won. I mean, it's, what, what are we going to do? We're 10 points behind. It's all right. We've won. So you're sitting there, and everybody else is chewing their faces away, and you're sitting there calm as a cucumber, smiling the whole time, and they're worried about what you, you, you nuts. You're crazy. We've won. We've won. We've won. You see, we've won. God has given to us what he gave to Nehemiah, gifts of the Spirit. Nehemiah had the gift of faith for the success of overcoming the opposition. He had the gift of faith. He had the gift of knowledge to discern. He had the gift of wisdom to how to deal with the issue. And all of that came because this man, Nehemiah, knew his God through knowing him in the Word, being led by the Spirit. We've won. We've won. Does that mean there won't be any fumbles? Does that mean there won't be any bad plays? Does that mean none of that? What it does mean, at the end of the game, we get the trophy. That's what it means. And what's the perspective that we need to take? We need to take that on that day, God will declare total and final victory, which he won at the cross, as having then been worked out through these years until Jesus returns to say, we've won the battle. And we look back and say, man, that bothered me so much. I wish I would have seen that we won. I wish, well, we need to start seeing it by faith ahead of time rather than trying to worry about having seen it after it's finished. We need to see it as surely by faith ahead of time as we would see it by looking back. Amen? Amen. Why? Because it honors God. Why? Because he said we win. He says it. Lo, I am coming. He says, I'm coming back. And I'm going to receive you unto myself. We win. Church, don't let the enemy and the opposition overcome you. It will come, but not to overcome. You see, Nehemiah's success was that he gave glory to God throughout the entire process. The God of heaven my God, our God, God, the awesome God. So here's what we hear in 2 Peter 1, 3. Every one of us who are saved, we have been given. May I repeat that word? We have been granted by his divine power. We have been given what? How much? Everything. How much? Everything as pertaining to life and godliness. Nothing's been left out. We don't need any more today than we will need yesterday, have needed yesterday, we'll need tomorrow, except our greater knowledge of the content and the understanding and the obedience of it. Everything we have, everything we need has been given to us. You see, One of the prime reasons why Paul experienced so much victory. Because he used all of his spiritual weapons, all that was entrusted to him. With humility of mind. And as we continue to enter these battles of life, we need to do so, we need to do so with the same attitude that Paul had. We need to recognize as we enter these battles... We need to recognize our need and God's supply. We need to recognize our intrinsic fleshly weakness and God's intrinsic spiritual strength. We need to recognize our inability and God's great ability. And we need to recognize our lack and God's resource of knowledge and wisdom in his word by the spirit Eric would you like to close this please
Let's go and stand up. There is no other so sure and steady. My hope is held in your hand. When castles crumble, breath is fleeting. Upon this rock I will stand. Upon this rock I will stand. Glory, glory, we have no other king but Jesus, Lord of all. We raise the anthem, our loudest praises ring, we crown him. kindly rule has shattered and broken the curse of sin's tyranny he reigns my life is hidden beneath heaven's shadow your crimson flood covers me your crimson flood covers me sorrows Jesus is better make my heart believe in every victory Jesus is better make my heart believe than any comfort Jesus is better, make my heart believe, more than all riches, more than all riches, everything is better. Jesus, 
you reign, you've risen. It's your power that is upholding our lives right now as we speak. Lord, you have won the day. Ultimately, you are the victor. Your kingly rule has conquered the curse of sin's tyranny. That's true this morning. Now, Lord, may we live in light of that truth. May we, may we trust in you in all things, God. We pray in every circumstance, in all my sorrows, in every victory. Lord, you are better and you are reigning. We trust in you, O oh God. It's in your name we pray. Amen.